Hey, hey, and hello there, wherever you may be. I hope it is a good place. We just recently had a couple long-form interviews released. One was with Drew Dees, who works in our high school high-tech program and does a phenomenal job preparing high school students with disabilities for post-secondary life, really aiming towards finding out what their interests are professionally and try to get them lined up and ready to go to jump either right into work or if it's education or training or whatever it might be, getting set up for that. And then we followed that long-form interview up with Allison Chase. She is the CEO of the Able Trust, and their mission, and it's an awesome mission, is to get 300,000 more people with disabilities in the state of Florida employed who are not employed right now. These two, I think, are very much aligned and when I realized that this podcast would be released on September 5th, 2022, which is Labor Day, I just found the necessity to talk about a brief history of Labor Day, some of the reflections that I have on it, especially as they pertain to employment with people who have disabilities. Welcome to the dojo. So it, it may seem as, you know, kind of does sound like a strange idea to me is that we celebrate work and Labor Day by not working. And in some ways I've found, and I have worked on many Labor Days, by the way, and uh, this upcoming one might not be an exception. You know, in one ways it would, it would be really good to work to, to, to celebrate it, to honor it, even for kids to go to school and learn about this brief, important history that I'm about to give uh, about it. Because I, you know, until this podcast, I really had a vague understanding of where it really came from and why perhaps understanding its inception uh, could be kind of important. But it's always on the first Monday in September. And their origins are pointed towards the year of 1882. So this is, you know, not too long after the end of the Civil War. So a little over a decade after the Civil War has ended. And uh, it began in New York City, where people organized, and I think unions helped in this organization back there. They organized in Union Square. And on this day, it was the first Monday in September, they kind of lined it up so it was halfway between July 4th and Thanksgiving. Uh, But it was parades and picnics and protests, like the three Ps, right? The focus was was to celebrate workers and, you know, to have some leisure time. But it also, the protests were, now this was during the Industrial Revolution and the Reconstruction Era. The engines that really had driven our country to to elevate to the place that it is was really starting to you know incubate here and to cook. But imagine, if you can, what the industrial era must have looked like in terms of work environment and conditions. Um, uh, many accounts are that it was pretty deplorable, and uh, there were never at that time not not any. Um, protections for people that were working and so the 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 part of the protest here was to you know protest uh, deplorable work conditions better wages the right to organize and uh, child labor 
Many children at this time were not going to school. Very young, young, talking 10, maybe even younger, were working in factories and in very, now that we know, like asbestos or lead and, and all these like very not healthy. They were working in coal mines. Um, you know, I'm not a historian, so there's much more uh, to this, but very deplorable conditions. So that was in 1882. And within a few years, you know, this caught on to other states. There were 30 states that were having these kind of um, days, uh, first Monday in September, where they were organizing and parades, picnics, and, you know, advocating for more fair conditions. Well, in 18, I believe it was 96 in Chicago at the K Market Square. Um, so this was like uh, in May. Um, there were again some some protests, and and during these protests, um, there were many people who were killed, and I believe uh, some of them were police officers. And this drew even back then, without social media, drew national international attention. And uh, May first became from this episode International Workers' Day. So in 1894, so fast forward, uh, you know, from the 1880s to 1894. President Grover Cleveland at that time made Labor Day a national holiday. And it is important to note that it was, I believe, a week or not too far removed from when he ordered 12,000 troops to squash a union strike by railroad workers where many other people were killed as well. You can imagine during these times that uh, a lot of people were working very hard uh, during this industrial era. You know, the railroads, very important, and all the other kind of things that are going on to rebuild our country after the Civil War. You know, we can think about the turmoil during our modern times, but history tends to, you know, be repeating itself in many ways in just different forms. But there was a lot of unrest over this. But it wasn't until 1938 that Franklin Roosevelt passed the first federal protection for workers. And in these federal protections came the eight-hour workday, five-day work week, and the end of child labor. So arguably, some people are still alive today that uh, were children that were working in very hard and tough working conditions. Um, personally, and uh, learning about my family and my, my grandparents, my grandfather on my father's side, from what I understand, did work in the factories of the Northeast and uh, worked consecutively seven days a week for long periods of time. Um, I'm not sure at what age he started doing that, but from you know my understandings, it was very common for, for kids not to go to school and go into work right away. And, you know, so I think about that nowadays. So I'm going to you know, shift gears to this brief history of, <laughs> you know, how the Labor Day came about. And, you know, talk about some of my reflections on it, uh, especially as it pertains to today. I'm, first of all, very thankful that I went to school and didn't have to be forced into labor at a necessity and to very hard conditions and recognize that um, today there are still many kids, especially around this world, millions, that are subjected to really hard conditions. So I'm very grateful that I was able to go to school, to get educated, and that my kids right now are able to do that as well. 
and find it interesting how easy it is to complain about school. My kids now are shifting from, you know, school's awesome to like, oh, it's so hard and so, so much work and, you know, kind of that's starting to sink in now. But, you know, this burden is a privilege, that this so-called burden. It's such a privilege, you know, to be able to go to school, to get educated, to, to enrich our minds in so many different ways. To have a day off, uh, you know, from school, and you know, I think is a is a real privilege. I'm also reflecting on how, from 1938, when the first federal protections in labor laws uh, have come along, how many more have come along since then, and they continue to evolve. As as someone that's a um, in a position that I'm in, I'm constantly having to be. Uh, reading up and learning more, and there's so much to learn, and there's so much I, you know, continue to learn about in terms of labor laws. Some of the ones that really jump out to me that I think are very important, especially as it pertains to people with disabilities, is that we can't discriminate based on disability or race or ethnicity or age or um, how people identify themselves or their orientations. And, you know, I'm very thankful for all kinds of protections that prevent, or yeah, at least on you know legally to prevent discrimination in the workplace or any other kind of abuses that could happen that are out there that could be perpetrated. And so, very thankful for for good fair labor laws that have gotten passed. And then, then you know, I also reflect on, as you all have heard me repeat countless times on this podcast, the disparities. Uh, in employment rates compared with people with and without disabilities. Allison, who I referred to earlier, our interview with her from the Able Trust alluded to this. So no matter how the economy's doing, good or bad, you know, the unemployment rate is two to three times greater in people with disabilities than without disabilities. And again, thinking about right now, the current workforce market that we're in is so unique. I've never seen anything like this. And experiencing this from somebody that's seeking to employ people, like we're in such a blessed place right now as an organization. We're expanding our programs and services. We're looking to hire people. And it's just different now. And the amount of responses that we're getting for open positions. You know, I'm talking to other people who are looking to hire. You hear it in the news, how um, there's much more jobs out there than people willing to take it. People are less... Um, you know, it seems like wanting to jump into jobs. People have left jobs uh, because of a lot of different reasons. And it's just an interesting market right now. And my hope is, and, and again, we talked about this with Allison when we had our interview here, is that perhaps this provides a unique opportunity to close that gap in the inequities between the employment rates of people with and without disabilities. You know, again, crisis can bring opportunity. And what if, you know, the way that the conditions are in our current labor market, that employers who perhaps for whatever reason might not be opening to hiring people with disabilities may be more open to it out of necessity. Um, and perhaps more people with disabilities have a better chance nowadays than ever before to get hired into the jobs that they're seeking to get, and especially, hopefully, in the, the, the careers that they would want to you know, have and, and to get in and to sustain it. I'm very excited about the potential of these times. You know, as challenging as it might be for us or others to hire right now, um, I think it's a great opportunity for a reset. I'm very hopeful and, and you know, thankful for other people that are working to you know, get people with disabilities um, uh, employed. But before I jump into that, like, you know, just, for obvious reasons, like, you know, I find that uh, employment and working, and this, I think, 
ties into Labor Day and why why it's important for me at least to recognize and celebrate it. Um, you know, for me, it, it definitely gives me a purpose and meaning uh, to be able to work. I'm so thankful for the for the jobs that I've had. Um, it's helped me to build confidence in, in myself. It's allowed me to have a better access to quality of life uh, and living and more independence. And so it's just been wonderful to, to have the capacity to, to, to work because I recognize not everybody can work. You know, for whatever conditions that they may be in, whether it's disability or otherwise, I, I recognize, and this might be blasphemy, you know, for some people to hear uh, that not everybody, uh, you know, can work who may want to work. Um, but there's certain situations, and I've, and I've seen it, and I've come across it, where this, people aren't in that place yet. So maybe they'll get there. Um, but I, I just feel blessed that, that I have been able to, to work all the different kinds of jobs and, uh, that I've had. I've done so many different things from, you know, washing dishes and working in restaurants and serving people to landscaping. I even worked in like a video rental, like a blockbuster place that didn't last long. My eyes aren't good enough to, to grab movies, to give to people. <laughs> it was the only, wasn't the only job I was fired from deservedly. So, uh, I wasn't fast or quick enough and there was no accommodations to help me out there. Um, I've been able to, to go out to Colorado and work for, you know, an, an innovative, uh, non-for-profit that had outdoor adventure experiences that, uh, high-risk youth were exposed to, to really be, uh, a mechanism to, to work and get into their, their, uh, you know, lives and, and be a form of counseling. I got to be a snowboard instructor, got to work for the department of child and family services in Rhode Island. I've worked in colleges as an instructor, as research assistants, as a postdoc. I've got to work in our school systems, K through 12. Uh, I've now at a, you know, nonprofit helping people with disabilities I, I've got to do so many different things. Uh, there's more. How wonderful and blessed I am to have all those different experiences to enrich my life. So I'm very grateful for, for this time to reflect on um, the, the value that work has brought into my life, all the different experiences that I've had, the lessons that, that I've learned along the way. Um, I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. I'm also grateful for the fact that there are accommodations out there and as I kind of alluded to earlier, fair labor laws that have allowed me to work, that, that I wouldn't be able to work in many of those different uh, types of jobs had I not been able to do that. Even the job that I have right now, I, re I require you know, special assistive technologies and equipment, and I live in a time that I have access to it so that I can be employed. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful for the, for the people whose job it is to find people jobs. So when I came here, here to the Center for Independent Living, one of the services that we do is employment services. And uh, the role of the staff who works in this is to go find jobs for people who have disabilities. And it requires so much from evaluating people um, and their interests and their capacity and their skills to then you know training them a bit on whether it's soft skills or industry or career-specific skills that they might need, how to interview, put your resume together. Then they got to go work uh, with employers and talk to them and cultivate relationships and often debunk a lot of myths that employers have about this, connecting those dots all together. There is so much that goes into it. And, and the wonderful people that do this work, 
Um, and by the way, I've received those services myself. So when I was, um, you know, looking for work that I needed, oftentimes they're called vocational counselors who do this kind of work or vocational rehab or rehab specialist. This area, this field, this group of people that do this work, my salute to you all. It is so meaningful and so difficult to do this kind of work. And, and so there's like literally so many people out there that are, that are working so hard to find meaningful employment for people with disabilities. And it's, and it's so valuable, so valuable. And it requires so many different skill sets to be able to go and do this work. I am so thankful for those that, that have helped me you know, find meaningful employment. I'm so thankful to work for an organization that has a staff full of people that are actually doing this, whether it's high school, high tech, whether it's our employment services directly, my hat's off to you all. It takes such skill, talent, dedication, hard work, and heart uh, to be able to do that. I am so thankful for to work for an organization that, you know, all centers for independent living, more than half of our staff, including myself, have a disability. Our organization, it's like two out of three. And so I get to see firsthand the asset a person with a disability is in the workforce. You know, the perspectives that we bring to the table, the can-do attitude, any kind of problem or issue that comes up. You know, we've been living day in and day out with coming up with solutions, adapting, overcoming barriers or obstacles. So that happens almost every day in the workforce, you know, having to overcome challenges and barriers and obstacles. And, and a person with a disability, it's just second nature, you know, to, to have the mindset that, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure a way around, over, under, through um, th- this barrier or obstacle. So problem solving that's so needed in the, in the workforce, you know, the abilities to communicate, work uh, with a team, um, and, and often, you know, the, the accommodations that we, uh, you know, provide for people, um, are very useful for others that may not even have that disability too. So just then the diversity that it brings into the workforce and, um, you know, just more often than not, I find a very positive, optimistic attitude in people with disabilities and hope. And, and just, it's just so wonderful to work for an organization where, uh, you know, a majority of people have a disability and so I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for the employers out there that are open-minded enough to take on people with disabilities. I recognize there's a lot of myths out there. And there's, there's, there's good people who buy into a lot of these myths who employ people. And it's our job to really help uh, orient them to, to, to how you know, that's not the reality of the situation. You know, that people with disabilities aren't more likely to be absent from the job or uh, cost all kinds of money or high costs on average to provide accommodations or that they're gonna file a complaint or this, that, and the other. And, and so I really am so grateful for, for employers out there that, that take on people with disabilities into their work uh, environments and, and bring them in. I'm very also <laughs> very thankful for uh, people out there that are uh, into professional development. And, and so what I mean by this is that there's all kinds of th- stuff that I currently dive into about how to be uh, a better leader, um, how to be a better worker. There's all, I, I just find it so captivating that um, there's, I guess they're called influencers nowadays, but Brandon Bouchard, Simon Sinek, um, Robin Sherma, 
I think Anthony Robbins has been at this for a long time. I'm trying to name like the common folk, John Maxwell, who does a lot of, uh, you know, leadership stuff. There's like so many out there that does a lot of it's in the entrepreneurial space, which I love that we're in a country that entrepreneurship is a very big thing. And I'm just so happy for the richness that this area of professional development has. For me, it's very motivating. I know it's motivating for millions of other people and really is inspiring to, to, to have you know, these people provide the content that they do to inspire people to go to work and, and to do it in a way that is fulfilling and, and, and to their lives. And I'm also very grateful for all the people who are out there working. And I'm talking like all people. I'm talking about the, the, the cashiers at the supermarkets, um, the people that work in gas stations, the people that um, are in healthcare, the people that are teachers, the people that um, are working to you know, pave roads, to do construction. Like so many people's labor makes my life a whole lot easier. Like, I just think about how, like, all the benefits and, and things that I enjoy about life, um, the, from the person that built my bike to built this building that I'm recording this podcast studio in, to the people that do our landscaping out here, um, to the babysitters and the daycare providers that are out there. Uh, there's so many people that are working that I got to acknowledge that my life is better because of their labor. And, and of course, I think in the COVID pandemic, it's really pointed out to where, like, what are the real important jobs that are out there? You know, we saw this when everything got shut down. It's the people that are stocking the food shelves, that are delivering things, that are keeping gas stations open, that are providing daycare, the teachers. They're, they're, they're like, you know, I think that really alluded to, like, you know, what, what, what's really valuable and what are they making? compared to, you know, other places that might be making more, but not necessarily as essential uh, to f the functionality of a society. And, and again, I think that points toward the unique experience that we are uh, in, in the workforce. And, and I got to really say hats off to the people whose job it is to help other people. And, you know, again, I get to be a part of an organization and I thankfully and with much gratitude have been a part of other organizations that they're so missing is to help people in need and so thankful to live in a country that takes it seriously enough to help one another that we can you know get paid money to go help people and and make a living off of it serving people Whew, that's awesome that's awesome should be doing this work anyway but to get paid for it wow my hat's off to whoever is helping people. And if you're in a position where you're fortunate enough to make money uh, to help people, man, I'm so happy. I'm so happy for you, for you uh, and for the good work that you're doing to make the lives of other people better. So you certainly have a lot of jobs to carry in this area because there's a whole lot of people in need. And I also want to, you know, hats off to people that are helping people that are not getting paid. So... Where, where I'm thinking primarily about this is uh, in the area of informal caregiving. So the family members or the friends that are caring for a loved one who likely, say, has a disability or is older. And, they're, you know, I, I think a lot about, you know, people that are caring for their aging parents. They have them living at home, but they also have kids. They're working. They're doing so much. 
providing this care. And, and I think in one of the previous podcast episodes, we talked about just the state of Florida alone, you know, is, is providing estimated, you know, they're saving billions of dollars, like, you know, dozens of billions of dollars by the fact that there are so many people caring for loved ones that they're not having to be institutionalized and to go into institutional care settings because that would be costing the state a ton of money if there weren't people who love their family or friends and they're caring for them. So it's not just people that are getting paid, you know, labor-wise, um, yeah, that are providing services and helping people that I'm very thankful for. It's just anyone that's helping people that I'm very thankful for. And on this Labor Day, for me, that is a very high-value place to come from, helping one another. That perhaps is the most important labor that we can be doing for one another because it's through that work which is very sacred, sacrificio. In Portuguese, this means sacred work. That's probably the most important labor that we can be doing in our lives. What are we doing to help work to make the lives of other people better through kindness, through generosity, through giving whatever we can uh, to other people? Because when we can do that, when we can labor in this direction, in this way, we will not just help ourselves, but we will help others to live a life that is onward and upward. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.